can be in one form or another if you want to open it to Ephesians 5. We'll be there in just a moment. I don't know what causes us to remember certain things at certain times, but I was sitting down front just a moment ago, and if this morning you were looking for lesson notes out in version, there was an epic fail on my part. It just occurred to me I never created any. So if you were looking for those, my bad, and I apologize, and uh, we'll try to do better on that. Uh, next week. Now you may remember uh, Sunday nights we had done several lessons out of First Peter and through uh, early afternoon services and me being gone and different things going on. We haven't been in that series in two or three weeks uh, and now we're into November. And we're kind of into that season where we're starting to think in terms of a you know, special focus on accounting our blessings and thinking about the ways God has blessed us and, and all those sorts of things. And so, Lord willing, uh, through this season, uh, we'll be thinking about some lessons that have to do with being thankful and gratitude and, and things of that nature. And so we want to go in that route tonight. And I want to begin... As we think about being thankful for the church, I want to start in Ephesians chapter 5 tonight, beginning in verse 25. Now the, the context here is marriage, um, you want to have a marriage that's a lot like Christ in the way he loves the church, but so as Paul writes and he's speaking to husbands, in that context he actually says some very uh, thought-provoking and beautiful things about the church. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And then the Bible says this, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And so he, he paints this beautiful picture of the church. And yet, how easy is it for us sometimes to fall into the trap of listening to negativity regarding the Lord's church? Because sometimes if we're not careful, we can, we can get caught up in hearing uh, so much more about the problems than we hear about the good things. Now, sometimes the negativity comes from outside. Uh, there are people maybe outside of, of the church, they've tried to label us, they don't understand what we're trying to accomplish, they don't understand that our, our goal in life is just to take this book and try to read about what God has asked of us and try to be what God wants us to be, to try to be what I like to call pre-denominational, we just want to be Christians. Sometimes folks don't understand that. Sometimes they don't understand that in Matthew 7, Jesus, during the Sermon on the Mount, He defined the way as being narrow that leads to eternal life. And so, so sometimes we talk about a narrow way and people view us negatively for that. But, but Jesus said it. We didn't say it. But then sometimes our, our negativity, the, the problems are the, the ones that come from inside. Driven by the fact that we're forgiven... But we're still human. The fact that, that we often know what God wants, but we just don't always live that out the way we ought to. The fact that we're family. And then so sometimes as family, maybe we're more dysfunctional than we want to be. Remember this, problems occur because the body of Christ is made up of saved yet imperfect people. 
And so while we're in the church and we're a part of the church and sometimes we have our troubles, we've got to always remember that the church is this blessing from God. And as such, we must never lose our focus on the idea that the church that God planned, the church for which Jesus died, it is perfect in both its design and its function. And we ought to be thankful for that. And and from time to time, I think it's worth being reminded of the importance of being thankful for and, and properly valuing the church. Now, why would I say that? Well, remember this. Gratitude fuels optimism. And we need to be optimistic. We we need to be happy promoters of God's church. We are in sales. We are uh, when people see us, they should see something within us and in the way they're living that they want a part of, that they want to become a part of, that they want internalized within them. We are the Lord's expansion strategy. We're the only one that He came up with, and so we we need to be optimistic. And so the question is, when people see us and when people interact with us, do they see that optimism when they're interacting with us at work or when they're interacting with us at school or when they look in through the window at what's going on here in this event, do they see that optimism? You may have heard the story of, uh, of two twins. They were alike in every way, had been born to this family. They looked alike and they dressed them alike. They, two twins, and uh, these two twins, though, they had one very stark contrast. One was a pessimist. One of the young boys, he, you could give him a situation and he could see the negative side of everything. The other boy, he was, he was an optimist. I mean, you gave him a situation and he would find the rainbow in it. And so... The parents were a little bit concerned that the twins weren't as balanced as they ought to be, and so they went to a therapist who had some unorthodox sort of uh, methods that he used, and he he said, first, let's work on this son that's really negative and really pessimistic. He said, what we're going to do with him, we're going to empty out a room, and after we empty it, then we're going to fill it back up with toys. We're going to put so many toys in there. We're going to put everything a young boy could want to play with. We're going to fill that room up with good stuff like that. And then we're going to put him in that room. And if he does, you know, there's no way he'll be able to find something bad about being in that room with all those toys. And so they filled the room up. They put the boy in there. They went to the observation window. And they look in there and the boy is crying. He's not just crying. He is sobbing. And so they run back in the room and they're like, what's wrong? The, the, the room's got toys in it. It's got everything you could want. And, and the little boy, as he's crying, he says, but, but, but there's, I didn't pick these toys out. And some of these toys haven't been put together yet. Who's going to put these together? And even if we, we put the toys together, there's nobody in here to play with me. So it didn't work. Well, then there's the little boy who is an optimist and they wanted him to be more balanced. And so... This therapist, he said, now this is, this is really unorthodox, but he said, we're going to empty that room, get the toys out of there, and then we're going to fill that room up with horse manure. Yeah, and, and, and so the parents were kind of you know, wondering about that, but they, they filled the room up with the horse manure, and they took the child and they put him in there, and they went around to the observation window, and they're horrified because the child is digging in the horse manure. And so they run and they get the child out and they're like, son, what are you doing? And he said, well, with this much of this in here, I thought there had to be a pony in here somewhere. That's optimism. That's a long story to get to one little point on optimism, isn't it? But are we optimistic? Why should we be thankful for the church? Now, we could, we could have a long list of reasons. I mean, we could probably have 20 or 30, but I want us to just spend a few minutes tonight thinking about two reasons 
that we really ought to be thankful for the church. And the first of those tonight that I want us to think about is the idea of unity. Uh, the, the, the church that God has, has designed and the way He wants it to function, he, he wants us to be united and there's a blessing in that. You may remember the prayer from Jesus in John chapter 17. He's praying and He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in Me through their word, that they may all be one, even as You, Father, are in Me, and I in You, that they may also be in us, that the, so that the world may believe that You sent Me. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and you know, that church, it had, its, it had its problems, and yet, even as he's writing, leading off that first letter, he writes, let there be no divisions among you. And so, let's think about a few of the blessings that, that, that result from biblical unity, the idea that we're united in Christ through obedience to Him. Let's think about the power of one, because Jesus prays for that there in John 17. He prays that they may all be one. See, one of the blessings of being family, one of the blessings of being Christians, is that Christianity, Christian family, it breaks down and it eliminates some of the barriers that divide people. Because we live in a world that segments and divides. You think about some of the ways we divide ourselves. Sometimes it's about income levels. We'll talk about the lower class and the middle class and the upper class. And any of you that are old enough to remember George Jefferson, you know, the song was moving on up. We're moving from one class to the next. We divide over education levels. We'll talk about the educated versus the uneducated. We'll divide over the kind of work we do. We'll talk about white collar and blue collar. We'll sometimes talk about the neighborhood people live in. We'll talk about being from the right side of the tracks or the wrong side of the tracks. And sadly, in our history, we've been divided over things like the color of skin. And we're really still not where we need to be on that. We've divided over things like nationality. And sadly, we still have some cultures in our world that would oppress the individual who happens to be born female. But then you come to the church. And now, salvation, that's, that's the main thing. Forgiveness of sins. Everything associated with that. The idea that I'm no longer lost and I'm, I'm on my way to heaven. That's the most important thing. But one of the most relieving things that the church offers to a lost, divided, fragmented world is the idea of all being one. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, uh, those words of comfort, come to me all who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, this interesting thing happens. You think about a giant corporation. And you think about the chief executive officer who sits on the top floor of that big building. And then you think about the young guy who maybe has just gotten his first job in the mailroom. Their work, you know, the only thing significantly the same about their work is that it's, they're paid by the same company. They do their work in the same building. Their, their lives are nothing alike. But if they're Christians, if they're in Christ, they're the same. You may have watched some football games this weekend. And, and, and there are some guys playing today who get paid to play those sports. And there's also some guys who get paid to show up and paint the lines on the field. They're not paid the same. Their lives are not anything nearly alike. The only thing they have in common is that they do their work on the same 100 yards of space. But if they're both Christians, they're the same. 
See, the church offers camaraderie rather than competition. The church offers an environment of sharing rather than an environment of suspicion. The church offers companionship rather than the challenge of the corporate ladder. The church offers this environment where everyone can win whether instead of that, that, that one where we've got to have winners and losers. The church offers this environment where the, the, the rising tide of faithful service, it lifts all of us up. And so the Lord's church is this place that offers a respite from the world that is so divided. It's designed to be a place of safety and of peace and of light and of warmth. Turn with me, if you would, to Galatians chapter 3. And I want you to notice what the Bible says about us all being one in Christ. Galatians chapter 3. And I want to begin in verse 26. Paul is writing there and he says, For all of you, or for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And kind of as a side note, if you want to get into a discussion sometime or you're thinking about, okay, what does saving faith entail? Notice what verse 27 says. It goes on to say, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then notice what it says. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's descendants, heirs, according to the promise. See, that's one of the things that Paul's trying to answer here in this letter. Because you've got some folks who are trying to drag new Christians back into Judaism... Paul saying, no, the tenets of Judaism don't make you a better Christian. The thing that makes you all the same is that you're in Christ. All one in Christ, defining the point where we find our unity. And see, that's great news. That's great news for us. That was great news for people in, in, in the days of the early church. You, you think about Jesus' day. The poor were often oppressed in His day. There was racism in Jesus' day. You remember how the Jews uh, felt about the Samaritans. There, there was racism. And, and here, again, in Galatians, you've got Jews who couldn't let go of the old way. And they're trying to drag these new Gentile Christians back to the old law and trying to convince them that, hey, if you really want to be a super Christian, take on the tenets of Judaism. This legalistic, merit-based system... And Paul said, nah, you're, you want to be an heir according to that promise. If you're in Christ, you're all one. Don't you love the fact that within the Lord's church, there's no elevated status among religious leaders? Now, we esteem and we obey our shepherds because of the work they do, yet in another sense, our, our shepherds, they're Christians just like all of us are. The preacher's a member of the church family, also being led by those shepherds. And you may remember in Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus is condemning the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. And as He's talking to His disciples there in verse 8, He reminds them that they're all brothers. And so what we see when we look around is we're thinking about the power of one. We see sinners who are covered by the blood of Christ, now brothers and sisters united in Christ. Further, we're united in peace. See, God's plan is that in Christ, in the church, we find our unity and it's, it's peaceful. 
Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, because one of the reminders we get out of the first three verses in Ephesians chapter 4 is peace is one of those things. It doesn't just occur by accident. It doesn't occur by happenstance. It actually requires our attention. It often requires our effort. And it's going to require our selflessness. Notice those first three verses. And I want you to notice some of the attributes that he's going to mention in verse 2. And what we're going to quickly realize is that some of the things he say, he's saying are necessary for peace, they're not always easy to come by. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Well, how do we do that? He says, with all humility. Well, sometimes that one's hard for us. And gentleness. Well, sometimes we, you know, sometimes when we get upset, maybe we're kind of like bulls in the China China cabinet shop or whatever. You know, sometimes we're not as gentle with each other as we'd like to be. Then he says patience. He's gigging me there, you know. Not as patient as I need to be. So humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peace doesn't come easy all the time. And so if I'm ever looking around and if for some reason I'm in a situation where peace is lacking, it's probable that you know, I'm not focused on one of these attributes. I've let it get away from me and people suffer because of it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 13, second part of the verse, live in peace with one another. And so why would we have all this emphasis on the power of one? And why all this emphasis on peace? And why all this emphasis on unity? And why think about the blessing that it is? It's because of our work and it's because of our mission. We have a twofold mission, a twofold purpose as the church. The idea of evangelism, the idea of saving the lost, not us doing the saving, but you understand what I mean. And then the other side of that, securing the saved. Get them in and keep them in if you really want to boil it down simply. And so all of our efforts, all of our programs, everything we're involved in, it ought to glorify God and it should have its basis in accomplishing these two things, either reaching out and helping new people to get in or making sure that the people who are in stay faithful and healthy and remain on their way to heaven. And there's power in a united group of people. You may remember the Peanuts cartoon where Linus is sitting there trying to watch TV and Lucy barges in and she demands that Linus change the channel. And Linus says to Lucy, well, what makes you think you can barge right in here and start ordering me around and telling me what to do? And Lucy says, well, these five fingers, by themselves they're not much, but when I curl them into a fist they become a power to be reckoned with. And Linus asks her, okay, well, what channel do you want? And then in the next frame, Linus is looking at his own hand and he's saying, guys, why can't you get together like that? There's power in a united group of people. And it's biblical. You remember back in Genesis chapter 11, there's a bunch of people who are all on the same page and they're all speaking the same language and they make this decision that they're going to build a tower into the heavens to reach out and touch God and... God decides, I'm going to have to do something about that. And so God ends up coming down and confusing the languages and and scattering the people. But God makes an important statement in Genesis chapter 11, verse 6, when He says, Behold, they are one people, 
And they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. See, God Himself is recognizing the power of all being on the same page. And so when united... As our shepherds lead, we accomplish more. We more efficiently accomplish the work we've been left here to do. We don't get sidetracked as often. We don't, we don't drag the brake as often. Notice Philippians chapter 2. Notice the first couple of verses uh, of, of that chapter. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose. That doesn't mean we're never going to disagree. Your family at home disagrees probably on some things from time to time. I know mine does. And as a family, we're going to have our points of disagreement. We're not always going to agree. But the key is, are we going to lose sight of our purpose? Save the lost, secure the saved. Because if we'll stay focused on that, we can maintain our unity. So why be thankful for the church? Number one tonight, the blessing of unity. The second thing I want to notice is the blessing of community. And we've talked a little bit about that earlier in the year. But God's plan for securing the saved, the idea that God doesn't expect us to go it alone, He doesn't expect us to make this journey down here by ourselves, He gives us each other. I don't know how often we stop and thank Him for that, but but if you're going to count blessings this time of year, the idea that He gives us each other is one of the things that we ought to be thankful for. Consider the the blessing of community. Uh, Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and and we want to think about the idea of the care that we have for each other. You may be familiar with that chapter and uh, there's some some language in there that's very much like what we read in Galatians 3. If you notice verse 13, the Bible says, "...for by, by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit." We're, we're all one. But then notice what you get when you get on over to um, verse 24, the second part of that verse. "...but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks, so that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it." Galatians 6 verse 2, "...bear one another's burdens." It's this idea as family, as community. We do the mountaintops of life together, but then when it's time to walk through a valley, when it's time to hurt, we don't have to walk through that valley and hurt alone either. We, we do the mountaintops together, but we also do the valleys together. My, my God's plan is that if I'm hurting, my brethren are going to be there to hurt with me. Now we talked about this a little bit this morning. One of the things, if we're going to get good at living this out, we've got to be willing to drop the veneer when we're hurting and to let people know. Authenticity becomes a very key component to authentic Christian community. I can't act like it's okay when it's not if I want my brothers and sisters to be there with me. 
We think about the idea of encouraging and edifying one another. We studied from Hebrews chapter 3 earlier in the year. We won't go there now, but I do want to go to 1 Thessalonians 5 because it says so much about how we do life while we're here on this earth. The beginning of that chapter... The, 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 Paul writes now, As to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So he's saying, you, you've been taught this. I'm not giving you something new. You understand that, that it's, it's going to be coming as a surprise when Jesus returns. But then he goes on to say, it should come as a surprise to the people who don't know God, but it should not come as a surprise to you because you are living ready. You are living life knowing that this could happen at any time. So while you may not know the day that it happens, it shouldn't catch you completely off guard. And so he goes through this. He says, verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We're not night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. In other words, the people of the night, that's where the bad things occur. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breast." Uh, plate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation and then notice 9, 10 and 11 for God has not destined us for wrath but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep we'll live together with him so God's plan is that we be in heaven and then verse 11 he says therefore because God's plan is that we be in heaven Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. We encourage. We edify. We help each other stay ready. And sometimes it's just like when that athlete gives up a big play or does something that he wished he had. You know, it's his teammates that are there for him. You, you, you can do this. Don't give up on this. You, you'll get them next time. All the kind of things you see from teammates, that's kind of what we're about. The idea when it gets rough, you need to hang in there because it may, be, it may be dark today, but it's going to be worth it tomorrow. Because the encouragement promotes faithfulness. And then finally, there's this idea that as we live all this out in community, we're going to love one another. Uh, love has to be at the base of properly functioning Christian community. Notice 1 John in uh, chapter 4 beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. In other words, John says, it's the least we can do. When we look at the investment that God made and what God put into the plan, the idea of sacrificing a son, allowing him to be the atonement, allowing him to go to the cross so that we didn't have to die for our sins, he says, it's the least you can do to go ahead and just love one another. So that's a part of community. Colossians 3 verse 14 says, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. 
And see, when we're loving one another and when that love is growing, we will care and we'll bear one another's burdens and we'll encourage and we'll edify automatically. So as we count our blessings this time of year, why be thankful for the church? Number one, the blessing of unity. Why be thankful for the church? The blessing of church community. The the idea that God gives us each other. And, And so tonight, as we finish up, one of my questions would be, are you taking advantage of this? Are you a part of this? Are you a Christian knight? Because one of the things that, that, that we can't end without saying is that the blessings of unity that we've been talking about, the blessings of being a part of a community that we're talking about, those blessings are reserved for those who are in Christ. Those who belong to Him. And I know this is the Sunday night crowd, and I know you get this, and I know you understand this, but we shouldn't close without saying it. God never intended us as Christians to be disconnected. Because a disconnected Christian is seldom a faithful Christian. You may remember the story about the old preacher, and he he goes out on a cold winter night to to see a man who had he's kind of wayward from the church. He used to attend, and he hasn't been attending. And so the old preacher knocks on the door, and he's invited inside. And there's a fire in the fireplace, and so the preacher and the the wayward m- member they they sit there in front of the fire, and they're really not saying anything. And fire has a way of doing that. It just is, it can mesmerize. And so you're watching the fire. So at some point, they've sat there for a little while, and the preacher, he takes the tongs, and he, he gets into the fire, and he kind of moves one log out of the fire, and they watch as that log burns briefly, and it, gets, it finally just goes out. Never spoke a word. And the wayward member said, I understand, and I'll be back in church on Sunday. The fire burns when we're united, when we're in community, when we're helping one another go to heaven. That's the way God designed it. That's what we must be thankful for. So tonight, if you're not a Christian, I would invite you to, to obey the gospel, to become a Christian, to be baptized into Christ. Uh, maybe as a family member, though, you're here tonight and something's going on where you want your church family to be praying for you. If you have a need of any kind tonight, let that be known while Bradley leads us in the song that's been selected. Let's stand. There's a fountain.